Section 10 of The Desirable Alien at Home in Germany by Violet Hunt. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 9 Chests and Costumes. In Marburg, which is in Hessen Castle, consequently in Prussia, I looked out of my bedroom window one morning and saw something like a kingfisher picking its way in little sharp erratic dashes and capricious loiterings here and there on the cobblestones in front of the Elizabethan Kirche. The day was young and it was the festival of Zedon. The kingfisher was a very young peasant, one of the early birds that find their way into town first on a feast day. It was so early that she obviously did not know what to do with herself. Presently she was joined by another flashing iridescent creature arrayed likewise in all the primitive colours. Together the two passed under the window and stood about under the trees of the Marbacher Weg and gossiped. I watched them lazily, as an invalid does. Their lower circumference was very wide. Their heads formed the apex of a cone, crowned with the red cap like the little round button at top of the mandarin in the rhyme. Their bodices were of velvet and their neckerchiefs of white silk. Their scarves, carefully negligently tied, hung back over their shoulders. Their buckled shoes clicked on the stones. They seemed as quiet and decorous as it was possible to be while their outside was like a leaping coloured flame. Under the trees of the Allée they passed and repassed, flaring like a couple of hummingbirds or parakeets, in gait as demure as doves and as gentle. And by and by as the day wore on, the streets of Marburg were full of these gem-like figures, all come in from the surrounding villages, moving as boldly, as easily, as theatrical stars on the front boards of a theatre. Marburg as a decor is rather sophisticated, an old town full of bits, but mainly modernised. There is a large plate-glass-windowed shop whose recesses display the finest confections of the best milliners in Frankfurt. Frankfurt, whereas everybody who dresses knows, you can buy as good clothes as you can at Monte Carlo or Paris. In the back street is the shop where the peasants come and buy the materials for these dresses, costing very often not less than ten or sixteen pounds. Over the door of the shop is inscribed Landestragen. In another shop are dolls dressed out in costume. We all think the costume very old, but as a matter of fact it came in with the Reformation, and it will be dead ere now, only that Prussia encourages it. Footnote. I do not know what may be our author's authority for making this statement, nor do I fancy that she knows herself. The fact is that it is extremely difficult to date any given costume, and many varieties of costumes are to be seen together in the city of Marburg. The one which our author has more particularly described is that worn near the villages of Amöneburg and Kirchhain. It dates in all probability from the 16th century, or possibly from the 18th, since the men who wear costume on holidays 
carry under their arms cocked hats and wear knee breeches, silk stockings and short round jackets. The women of the hamlet upon the Frauenberg, on the other hand, about six miles away, wear costumes very much resembling those of the Boulogne fishwives of today. And since they are descendants of Huguenot emigrants into Hessen Castle, it is obvious that their costume dates from at least before the revocation of the Edict of Nantes. The broad plain of Hessen Castle is everywhere diversified by pinnacles of basalt, upon each of which is planted a little town, varying in religion, in costume, and in habits. Roughly speaking, the Protestant villages, encouraged by the Prussian government, wear costumes, varying from the highly coloured one of a Murnaburg to the sombre black petticoat, black bodice and white stomacher, white stockings, black pumps with silver buckles, garters of green with long ends, and a particularly odd black headdress, in form exactly resembling a Phrygian cap, which, when working in the fields, they replace by an immense straw hat, and shaped like the shepherd the pie of Rubens. This latter costume is mostly found in the north of the province, and assimilates fairly closely to that of the Bückeburgerinnen of the Grand Duchy of Lippe. This Grand Duke, like the government of Prussia, encourages his subjects by every reasonable inducement, ranging to very substantial money prizes to wear the national costume. Prussia has done the same thing in Alsace-Lorraine, the idea being everywhere identical, namely by means of the costume, to encourage German national feeling. Roughly speaking, on the other hand, the villagers whose population is Roman Catholic or considerably Jewish do not wear the costume because these varieties of humanity have no particular reason to love Prussia. And for the same reason, there is comparatively little costume to be seen in the Grand Duchy of Hessen-Darmstadt and by Rhein. JLFMH end footnote. Costume used as a political weapon is beyond me, and Joseph Leopold must correct me if I do not read him aright. Meantime, I found costume more naturally by persons to the manner born very good to look upon. I, who up to now had only seen examples of the German peasant at fancy dress balls in London, set amid policemen and pillar-boxes and cooks and gitanos. Every plain, broad-featured girl of my acquaintance used to be advised by candid friends and relations to plait her hair or wear a switch and go as Gretchen or a German peasant. So cheap and so easy, my dear. Here in Marburg, I was told that if I wished to see costume at its best and plenty of it, I must go to the market on Saturday. The market was held, I understood, on the top of the hill. I lived on the bottom. So one morning we mounted the high flagged walk under a low wall shaded by a row of trees, which is the main street of Marburg. It is a sort of three-decker of a street with a cobbled causeway on one side and an unpaved way on the other. I felt as if I were walking on a stone battlement raised in the midst of a tumbled watercourse. The raised footpath is comparatively new. 
how did passengers manage when the only way was abroad on a justed track leading up through the town to the schloss and palace on the top even in the memory of joseph leopold the road up from the elizabethan kirche was once like a stony river bed not unlike the course of the Elysus at athens after a drought somewhere about halfway up the hill the famous potters of marburg used to sit and thump their wet clay that was eighteen years ago and now they've all taken their lades elsewhere into side streets where they've opened small shops in the marbeck of egg one can still see the wet discs that will be turned into bowls and dishes and the queer featureless knobs of clay that are really jugs drying on slats laid outside the shop door inside the potter is to be seen hard at work sitting at his wheel moulding on the sides of them the conventional figures of birds flowers and beasts he has roughly designed if you are passing a day or two later you can see the same pieces carried a stage further with the brown glazes run on to them and you can buy them the designs on the clay are mostly the same as those that have been laid upon marble pottery for centuries by this potter's ancestors probably you can judge by the samples lying on the shelves of the museum now the pattern is there on the modern ones but curiously enough the spirit seems to have departed the design has survived but it has thickened in the working grown clumsier in the handling it has lost dignity in the attempted realism the workman has grown meritoriously regardful of nature but i think that the stiffness of the conventional forget-me-nots was more adapted to the surface of a bowl and a primrose by the cup's brink should not look as if a child had carried it in a hot hand all day perhaps far away in england ruskin and his disciples brooding over slides of botanical specimens in the tailurian were responsible for these sad acts of initiative on the part of a marble potter beasts even modern beasts are more satisfactory a large white stag before the setting sun standing bold in the centre of a yellow plate never can look wrong i bought some ancient examples as curiosities some modern ones of herr armenhausen for use and ornament i then recklessly confided my purchase numbering about thirty pieces to the marburg railway people it was arranged that all of it was to be securely packed in a wooden case between herr armenthausen who made the pottery and packed it and the speditor who expedited it most of it arrived in england broken i have now two very large bones to pick with the speditor which i shall never pick as he is safely sheltered by a railway company which takes no risks the other bone is also a picking bone but I'm not at all sure the spadator is to blame in the second case, since Joseph Leopold did actually get the compensation out of the vendor. I'm reminded of both of these bones as I go up the main street of Marburg, past the apotheca where I buy my so expensive and so really good drugs, past the cheap draper's shop with the Jewish name, whose windows are full of seemingly soft and woollen, but internally rotten and jerry-built underclothing. Joseph Leopold is cold here and chilled to the liver, but he bears it, 
He won't buy the Jews' goods, for he says you can't get worse in England. Then we go past the barbers and the Damenfrisieren place, where they once washed my hair and dried it, so my sick fancy, bemused with hot and cold douches, pictures the scene, by a process of winnowing. They seem to be using flails, so violent were their measures. As I sat there, toweled, helpless and ridiculous, I observed under cover of my hair that the barber's whole family came in and assisted at his labours. They waved palm-leaf fans at me until, like Job, my hair lifted off my forehead and I was dry, but afeared. We go past the two new houses they are building on a sort of frame of wooden cross-beams, quite irregular in shape, so that when the plaster is filled in, the new may look as like the old house it replaces as possible. But I do not think that Germans are affected enough to care to build new Rococo houses simply for pretty, as they do in England, and in order to be in the forefront of the movement which likes to reproduce old features for the sake of chic. Certainly, if we saw such houses as these two of which I am speaking in process of building in the main street of a busy English market town, among a good many modern ones, we should say, this builder is a crank who wants to show how clever he is and how much he knows. I think Germans do it because they are opportunists always, and conservative when it suits them. And the old way of building in this case agrees with their domestic arrangements and their love of sleeping warm. Sleeping warm means ingle nooks and small low windows and the rest of it. Besides, roofs must be high-pitched for the storks that, like well-bred children, are heard but not seen in Germany. I never saw any but those two in Wieseck. Then we came to, and did not pass by for a long time, the shop with Landestragen on the fascia. For piled up in the window you can see all the materials needed to complete the dress of a peasant. The man's kittle, the woman's petticoats, cap and bodice. The cap is made and ready to wear except for the strings. And here are the handsome square fringe neck scarf, the rolls of patterned ribbon ready to be feather-stitched onto the hems, the bales of red, green and blue woollen stuff for the skirts, and the stamped velvet for the bodices. Who that has only seen the usually ridiculous ballroom figure, with pigtail plaited a la marguerite and draggled skirt not half short enough, that does not stick out but clings to the silk-stocking legs, can form any idea of the working reality? For here it is. This shop is a miniature Whiteley, and there are shops like this in most towns, where the thrifty German peasant who feels herself in need of a new dress can buy all her materials at once, and hie her home to her distant farmstead and make it at her leisure. The materials are costly, but then she will not have any such new costumes in the course of her life, or she may have inherited one or two, as often happens. The caps, especially the very handsome seed-pearl embroidered ones, are frequently passed on as heirlooms. I have three now that were bought in that very shop, and which, though good and solid, look as if they'd been going for several hundred years. 
The petticoat is where the amateur goes wrong. The proper amount of skirts would be impossible to dance in. And that is why the German peasant woman working in the fields discards all her petticoats but the upper one on a hot day. I have seen a girl's defrock lying on the ground beside her reaping hook and the pot of beer she has carried out for her husband. Or if she is not actually affluent enough to possess more than one skirt, or perhaps two, she ekes it out with a sort of bolster worn round the hips, which sets out the garment as properly as if it were one of many, and procures her the indispensable freedom of movement necessary for working or dancing. No clinging woollen clogging their movement for them. And perhaps it is this clever theory of toilette put into practice which permits of the fine, large, swinging gait with which the German Bauernfrau treads the furrows. It is this long stride which is absolutely characteristic of the walk of the working woman in Germany, and it is so pronounced that it is patent to any casual observer from the window of a railway train. And talking of the rationale of costume, it strikes me that the make of the Hessian peasant's bodice and that of the present Swiss female costume and of the English once embodies the very sound, if unconscious, theory that the stiffer and solider parts of the clothing, that is, those intended to procure support and warmth, should be worn on the outside. The good old English word for corset suggests it, and the sense is exemplified in the use of that word for the wooden splats and lards which hold a vessel in process of construction together till it leaves its birthplace in the shipyard. Several nations seem to agree sartorially that this stay or support should be worn outside the shirt or shift. The French to corset, that is, stiffen, hold up, from which they get the noun corset, holds the same notion. A curious reversion to this theory of toilette is sometimes carried out in the water at Dieppe. I observed one lady whom everybody else observed, not on account of her costume, which was normal, but on account of her beauty, which was abnormal. She was the late Miss Kitty Savile Clark, wearing day after day for her morning dip black satin stiffly boned corset over her red mayor and looking like a well-designed poster as she sat hanging her legs over the sides of the boat to which she had swum. I believe it was practically only in the last century that the old process was reversed and what I will call women's immense and vaunted staying power hidden underneath her softer exterior. She used to be a pomegranate, now she is a peach. To me the present fashion mendaciously suggests that natural resilience alone bears up this fraud that is woman. She is seeking thus to maintain an appearance of firm flesh underneath the soft bodice of silk or skilfully folded material. But he who has danced with the seemingly yielding fair is aware of the local stiffness that informs the shape he pilots by the flat of his palm round the ballroom. In fact, my partners have in confidence informed me that they would not have it otherwise, and that they find it easier to negotiate 
the varied contours of window jam and cornice and evade the thundering masses of human conglomerate that may bear down on the navigator with something solid to get hold of but the modern swiss bodice which still obtains and the german one too worn honestly outside is a pièce de résistance in more senses than one for it is made to lace and not to fit a girl may wear the bodice which slight and young she could scarcely fill and a german matron if you take her young enough is sometimes as slender as any gazelle until such a time as she is a full-grown woman and can only adjust her corsage and exigencies with the aid of pins and for a worker the outside corselet has obvious advantages such as have been acquired over here by the wearers of the kimono sleeve now come down to the slums there is a style of dress in germany adopted by the middle class which borrows from the peasant dress one principle that of the independent sleeve inexperienced dressmakers must love the reform clyde since it evades a ticklish bit of fitting known as the underarm seam and though evolution has added a pair of sleeves to the corselet in germany the freedom and play of the chest is still permitted and i observe that the more slovenly type of german matron avails herself fully of the relief of missing hook and bursting buttonhole the skirt is always made of woollen material and nearly always the handy peasant woman weaves it herself choosing her colours carefully the upper skirt is generally of a very bright colour the under petticoats of a duller hue unless indeed they happen to have been degraded from the rank of upper skirt to a more humble position friend go lower and if young women are partial to a strong vivid green i have noticed that the older ones prefer a soberish grey but always there is the broad bright border composed of several rows of figured ribbon these rows bring the trimming of such skirt fully two feet up from the bottom the other day turning out a drawer of old things i came upon several lengths of old silk english ribbon patterned very much as these german ribbons are and so quote good as almost to be able to stand alone like the satin dress of the elder miss browning of cranford the old-fashioned caps are set with coloured stones and embroidered with seed pearls those new-fashioned that are for sale in the marburg shop are less elaborate and a trifle tawdry they are all small not much larger than half an orange and they are worn set carefully on the top of the knob of hair scraped up from the whole head with wide strings of black ribbon with a picot border depending from them and flung back the knob of hair sad to relate that is generally all there is of it at all events when the german peasant wife has reached the age of thirty the marguerite plait if it ever existed has been frightened away by the good soul's habit of intensive hair cultivation from earliest youth she has strained it back a la peggotty into the tight little knob i have been speaking of so that it all goes quite comfortably into the circumference of a quarter pot footnote the costume of the alaisienne which dates quite definitely from the year eighteen forty 
includes a similar odd little cap perched on the top of the head, but such headdresses these very beautiful women only wear upon Sundays and feast days, alleging that to wear them more often would ruin their hair. Thus once more do they seem to manage these things better in France. J. L. F. M. H. End footnote. And petites, tis true. An English old maid of a hundred odd years in a cathedral town, scrappy and hairless, according to the chivalrous saying, could boast of her scant locks as against the having of a happy and careless German peasant matron of thirty. The bodice of black or maroon or dark blue velvet, stamped with a flowery pattern and worn on holidays, or the other humbler one for workdays, made of printed cotton or linen, has a little belt of quilling of self-material all round the décolletage, which is, of course, never a décolletage at all. It is always filled in with the very clumsiest arrangement imaginable, a neckerchief of coloured silk or white linen, folded with some skill afresh every day. Round the column of the neck itself, the fringed worsted or silk scarf of vivid hue is carelessly knotted, and the ends arranged to hang down the back. It is a curious arrangement for which one can discover no apparent artistic or hygienic reason. Coloured worsted stockings and shoes of felt with embroidered toes complete this costume, which I have observed chiefly at Marburg. Marburg is a Protestant place. Catholics don't wear costume. And at Marburg sashes are worn, but I have not seen them in the shops for sale. I suppose they represent an individual fancy of the wearer. At the Kirschweifets and the Kermesses I have sometimes hovered around examples of these sashes, attracted by the extraordinary garish, clotted effect of the colours introduced into them. I have gone quite close to find out exactly the material used. Berlin wools. I have never seen anything in the nature of decoration so vivid, so savage, so poisonous-looking as these innocent toilette accessories worn by very young girls and evidently made by hand, just as their English cousins made chair covers and mats and tea cosies out of the same stuff in the sixties. In Germany, I suppose, fashions die harder. England took Berlin wool work from Germany in the first instance. And Matilda and Georgina Maria slavishly adopted this mode along with their new Hanoverian rulers in 1714. And it died with Gladys and Phyllis and Muriel, who took on cool work. That is dead again. Lotta and Gretchen, with whom Berlin wool work originated, still wear their wool flowers gaily, and on regions the other ladies never knew. For in England, I fancy, it was never used as a personal decoration. I am aware that the present fashion in Paris is for hats trimmed with wreaths composed of the early Victorian symbol, and that breast knots of a single wool work, double daily with leaves to match, are the rage or have been, we bought some old hand-sewn embroidered linen tablecloths in the Landestreichen shop to make bed curtains with for an old English bed, and mounted farther into the heart of Marburg. 
there among the little alleys like dirty filaments that wind in and out and up the steep monticules on which the town of marburg is built lives the great the wicked herr dash he lives in a little court a court where gretchen might have lived and which hawes craven might have copied for henry irving i wish to feast my eyes on the three good truen which he possessed and was offering us for sale footnote truen are as a rule the bride chests which accompany the hessian bride from her father's house to her husband's upon the day of the wedding upon such an occasion these truen contain all the linen that will be used and all the costumes that will be worn by that bride during the remainder of her life there should be costumes for the wedding for church goings for mournings for widowhood and the shroud of burial and the strictly orthodox bride should have spun or woven at least with the assistance of her mother every single piece that the chest contains similarly the chest of a nun was to be considered as her bridal chest and to contain all the garments she will ever wear from the beginning of her novitiate to her burial j l f m h and footnote we intended to show no eagerness but to purchase them the day before departure we meant to make him send them to us in england where they would do us credit in germany only our nouveau goes down and for our german house we had to furnish accordingly it was with regard to this purchase that we again encountered the spedator but it was not the spedator who cheated us this time it was the clever old jew who took an extra pound for packing the truant and sent them all the way to camden hill with a bit of sacking lightly laid around their contours as a woman drapes a handsome opera cloak over her shoulders not so much to keep her warm as to show off the beautiful lining of the cloak and the beautiful bust it covers so ill however an equally clever german rechtsanwalt who was not a jew got us out of it he took the matter into court and forced herr dash to disgorge the money we had given him for packing and with it we paid for repair and dilapidations the rechtsanwalt's fee was only ten shillings there are some advantages of being a german subject and they were beautiful pieces of work these truen one of them came from the convent of kloster arnsburg where the nuns had used it to keep their vestments it has three kings cut in low relief on its sides and thick pilasters to the doors another carved and inlaid i may mention that it was this chest that suffered the worst from the evil effects of careless packing for it arrived with all its inlays starting out of its head and its painted figures blurred and damaged is of pale light wood and it has been painted at a later date the third the smallest and most mysterious of all puzzled and continued to puzzle the greatest connoisseur in furniture in the world a man whose boast it is that show him only a square inch of any piece whatever and he will engage to tell you its nature make and provenance in this chest decorated with stags and horses and plants of a curious convention resembling the hieratic lotus flower 
Joseph Leopold keeps his suits, with great inconvenience, but immense artistic satisfaction. We passed on and found the marketplace at last. It is situated on a level plateau and closed in from the view of the valley of the Lahn on three sides by houses and on the fourth by an old town hall. Flowers in window boxes are on every sill of every window of this otherwise austere looking building, and the houses are all painted. I have never been in Italy, but I fancy that the painted houses, the costumed women, and the natural hues of fruit and flowers altogether made up such a blaze of colour as Italy could not exceed, though she might equal. At any rate, I am not aware that the houses in Italy are notched, faceted, and blazoned in stripes and dots of all the strongest primary colours. And imagine what it is to have flashed on you all at once a bed of hydrangeas, calcinarias, nymphophilas, nasturtiums and gladioli, peonies, dahlias, fuchsias, begonias and polygoniums, heated, irritable, passionate flowers with these sort of Latin terminations rushed to one's mind at once. And you may have an idea of this German marketplace on that sunny day in mid-September. Of all the flowers named in my list, none, I think, were actually present, except for the gladioli, and there were a great many of these. And then there were the costumes and the women's cheeks, the green, very green cabbages, and the most golden pumpkins, and extremely purple plums, and deeply tinged apples. There were also the clear, translucent shades of yellow cheeses and tubs of milky curds and kegs of butter. A good German butter, very white, like Castile soap. That is as it should be. It takes you some months of an emménage to realise that it isn't your husband's shaving soap, which is got onto the breakfast table by mistake. The awnings of the stalls, too, were gaily striped, and laughing, higgling men and women passed to and fro under them. Everyone was selling and everybody buying at the same time, which seems an eminently satisfactory arrangement. Nobody stayed in one place long except a few old, very old women, immovably fixed behind a tub of butter or curds, and with a round umbrella stretched over them. Sometimes one of them, when she had done good business, sold a whole kegful perhaps, rose and pattered away slowly into the church hard by to mutter a great orison, and so back again to the silent session among all the noise. End of section 10